Welcome. This is Beyond the Illusion. In this episode, we have a conversation with Tara Springett. Tara is an author, a Buddhist teacher, and a therapist who teaches powerful self-help tools based on Buddhist teachings. We contacted Tara in the hope that she would be willing to talk about kundalini activation with us, and thankfully she agreed. You're in for a real treat with this conversation. There's lots of great information for those who have experienced or are currently experiencing a kundalini activation, or if you don't even know what kundalini is. We cover it all. Tara also described a technique she developed called higher consciousness healing, which I found particularly fascinating. Now. Let's go to the conversation with Tara Springett, Tiana Roser, and myself, Tim Howe. Looking at your websites, and they're very good. They're very well put together. And you say somewhere on there that you offer relief from Kundalini syndrome, and. For our listeners that don't know what kundalini is, can you give a brief explanation of what that is exactly? Right. So if you Google kundalini, then you get all sorts of weird and wonderful explanations of like a snake lying curled at the base of your spine and rising up to your crown chakra and Shakti and Shiva are uniting and then you can get enlightened. All of that is very complicated and you can't really relate to that well. So the way I, I look at that, and that's really based on my own experience of being in that process for uh, 43 years and uh, have counseled over a thousand clients that I really like to speak of consciousness expansion. We have this consciousness expansion in four areas. One is that your own unconscious mind opens up so that you become aware of lots and lots of things that were suppressed in your own unconscious mind and they become conscious again. And then also that you are more able to link into the unconscious mind of other people so you can see behind the mask. And that you open up to the paranormal dimension, that you get these amazing experiences of maybe clairvoyance or incredible coincidences or, um, you know, real cities, supernatural powers. And the last area that opens up is the world of spiritual experiences. So this is not just something where you read about certain experiences in a book, but that you actually experience them in yourself. You might call that union with God or enlightenment experiences. And when you have them, you know you have them. They're they are unmistaken. In all these dimensions, this consciousness expansion happens. And when there are certain symptoms and signs present, then we speak of a Kundalini experience. In your most recent book, Healing Kundalini Symptoms, which has proven techniques that really work, what I like about your book and the way that you describe Kundalini is that you use a lot of metaphors and different models. You had this block of ice metaphor. Could you explain that to us? Yes, so I say before our Kundalini awakening, we are a little bit like a block of ice. I mean, this is an exaggeration, and I don't want to put anybody down who hasn't had a Kundalini awakening. Not that I say you are all blocks of ice. You know, it's just helpful to think about it like that. And then this consciousness expansion is a little bit like as if this ice is melting. And when the, when the ice is so a little bit half melted, so a little bit 
dribbling on the outside, then we experience suddenly the, these uh, aches and pains in the body, which are which you might think are psychosomatic or very similar to psychosomatic pain, where where unconscious material want to come up to the surface, and uh, but it doesn't really come fully into it, so you don't feel the emotions or you don't know the content of the emotion, and then you experience that as pain, pressure energy whirling around in you and all these many, many strange physical experiences that we have. They are really old repressed emotions that want to come to, to the surface. And then when this ice completely melts and becomes water, then this stuff becomes visible or feelable uh, as emotions. When we learn to then work with emotions and apply skillful techniques, for example, the higher consciousness healing that I teach, then we transform the emotion into bliss. This would be like the water turns into steam. And so we have the different stages of when we are very repressed, a little bit not so repressed, more conscious, and then learning to... Um, the, the more difficult uh, experiences like negative emotions that we learn to liberate them into freedom or blissful feelings that we go through the four aggregate states of like ice and water and steam. Yeah, what I liked about that when I was reading it um, is that, yeah, sometimes people think that the kundalini is doing something to them versus uh, I guess you had this other metaphor that I also like the puberty metaphor versus it you know versus thinking of this process that's this kind of natural organic process that happens people think that this thing is happening to them or making them do something or making them feel something so so would you mind also sharing about the the puberty metaphor I, I find for me that that's how I most easily understand things is through metaphors Yes, so um, we can think about consciousness expansion or kundalini awakening as a natural progression, very similar to puberty. And in puberty, a dimension of us that were dormant before, namely sexuality and romantic relationship, it becomes very foremost in our mind and uh, starts really become very important for us. And we change completely in this process, you know, from a 10-year-old child to a 14-year-old stroppy teenager. <laughs> Complete change. And uh, But the teenager is not only stroppy. They also want to have a boyfriend or girlfriend and, and experience all the things with sexuality. And it becomes very, very important. And so what is sexuality in the puberty uh, process is spirituality in the kundalini process so what becomes so important for us is spirituality and uh, all my clients without exceptions say that spirituality is is the most important thing in their life that everything centers around it and uh, everything else is a second really to it so in puberty when we were children, we, we knew of sexuality and we, we knew about romantic relationship. They were just not that important for us. But it was more important for us to play with the other children. And so in the same way, before Kundalini Awakening, we knew about spirituality. We might even have participated in meditation retreats and, and prayer and church and all of that. But once the Kundalini is present, all of that becomes so much more alive. And so uh, before you might go through the motion with prayer and yoga postures and meditation. But boy, once the Kundalini is there, 
all of that becomes filled with visions, reality. Uh, you feel all the chakras. You, when you do your yoga postures, you can see the energy traveling from one chakra to the other. And you can feel exactly why this yoga posture has been invented in that way, because it does open certain meridians or certain energy channels. And you, uh, in the meditation, you... You, you have an hour-long meditation and afterwards you can talk for three hours with all the things that happened for you. Where else somebody else said, hmm, in that hour, yeah, I was a bit calm and it was okay, but not much happens. And so it, the whole thing becomes so much more alive and, and you can have amazing experiences like visions of the divine being or past life regression spontaneously, uh, clairvoyance about future events, all, all sorts of things can happen. And so when people hear about all these wonderful things, it makes them want to have their kundalini activated. And And I remember that was the case for me. It was that I was like, I want that. And so when a guru came in town offering Shaktipat, I was like, yes, that's what I want. And I had this very unrealistic, even I'd say kind of childlike um, <laughs> expectation that after receiving Shaktipat, that my whole life was just going to change, like I'm going to become an enlightened being or something just from having that, which of course was not what happened at all. I It took me years before it really, I guess, before I was ready for that to actually, to really activate and process and integrate and experience it. And which is why I like this puberty metaphor, because you can't like make well, I don't know, maybe you could with hormones, but I think for the most part, you just, you accept that puberty is going to happen for you at the appropriate time in the appropriate way. And even though as a child, you might be like, oh, I can't wait till I'm going to be at that age when I get to date or whatever. Like it just, it happens when it happens. But I think a lot of people maybe like how I was nowadays are kind of like wanting to try to make this happen? They hear of all of these wonderful experiences. What would you say to someone who is like, yes, what do I need to do to activate my kundalini? First of all, I would say get informed before you really activate your kundalini. I'm not for the horror stories. There are enough horror stories on the on the web and I really recommend don't read them because many of them are just simply not true. And some people who write about certain kundalini experiences may actually have a mental disease or disorder. There's a lot of nonsense and a lot of horror stories written. But nevertheless, opening up your uncon unconscious mind, that's not child's play. Stuff is repressed in our unconscious mind for a reason. Either it's traumatic material that we can't face or don't want to face, or it's very, very em embarrassing antisocial drives, impulses, inappropriate sexual urges, there's stuff that we have repressed for a reason. And when we are confronted with all of that, and when our emotions become amplified in this process, you know, we need a lot of skill to, to deal with that material. It's, it's not all light and roses. You know, there's also, um, I compare it with walking up a mountain. It's, it's work, you know, it's not, it's not easy. And of course, on the walking up on the mountain, we get the vistas and it can be fun, but only if you have the right attitude. And if we don't like mountain climbing, then we shouldn't really try to walk up that mountain. But nevertheless, a lot of people 
at this awakening spontaneously. They don't do anything for it. And they ask me, why does that happen to me? Or why did it happen to me? And then with my clients, of which I've had over a thousand, I always look what happened around the time when the Kundalini awakened. And they all wanted a consciousness, a consciousness expansion. I've never had a client who truly had a spontaneous Kundalini awakening without desire of consciousness expansion. So what I, what I mean by that, they all read spiritual books or books of maybe out-of-body experiences or maybe of that kind of nature or past life regression. They want that expansion of consciousness or they visited workshops or they went for a meditation retreat. All of them did that. And if you want that consciousness expansion for long enough, then uh, usually you, you get it. So that would be number one, you know, get informed and then really truly want that. And then basically meditate. And uh, in my uh, experience for my client, the reason number one, how people achieve the Kundalini awakening is the 10-day silent retreat, Vipassana retreat of, of Goenka. And um, you can Google that, Goenka and Vipassana retreat. And they're all over the world and lots of people have participated in them. They're, they're very strict. So it's 10 days silent retreat with many, many hours of meditating. And they do something that's, that they call a body scan where they feel into every part of their body bit by bit by bit by bit. And our unconscious mind is stored in our body, in our shoulders, in our arms, in our chest, in our stomach, in our legs, everywhere. That's where our unconscious mind is. And if you feel into your body in that way, then uh, if you're ready, if the time is right for you, then you get that consciousness expansion. <laughs> yeah, so much of what you're saying right now is really resonating with me, you know, now that I you know, reflect on my life a little bit, I I can see that, you know, there was a point in my life where I was seeking this consciousness expansion. And to some degree, I always have, but it became more intense at a certain point in my life where, and believe it or not, it, it was actually UFO books. Like I, I read so many UFO books. It was just, it was like really bizarre that I was so interested in that. And what it came down to, I, f I figured out was you know, all these experiences really were just to expand someone's view of the world, really, like to show them that there was something more than just our physical bodies, right? So by having that experience, they experienced this growth inside of them that said, okay, there is more to this life than just what I see with my eyes. And from that point, you know, that's when I really did become very interested in my own spirituality to a degree that I had never experienced before. And, you know, it wasn't easy after that. It was, you know, a lot like what you were saying with the puberty analogy. You know, my I have a daughter and she's going to be turning 13, you know, in, in a couple months. And so she's right in the middle of this process of her changing, you know, and I can see it. And it's a profound difference in who she is as a person now. And if I compare that to how I was before I was interested in spirituality, it's very similar. I do experience this this tension, this really great tension in my life now where I, I want to explore spirituality, but there are all these responsibilities that I still have to fulfill in my life just to keep going, you know? And so there, there's a, a certain degree of anxiety and tension that I 
deal with on a daily basis, you know, because of this. But yeah, yeah, I really, I really appreciate what you just described because it feels like at some level I am kind of going through that myself. And my question to you is, do you see more and more people nowadays that are experiencing these kind of things? Is it becoming more prevalent? Well, um, I cannot say for sure. I get more and more clients at this drill. So I do the Kundalini counseling for 10 years, roughly. And in that, in this, in these 10 years, I don't know, maybe quadrupled or yeah, quadrupled maybe. I don't know whether my website is working better or if there are more people understanding what's going on with them, more willing or able to Google their symptoms, or if there are truly more people, I don't know. But I um, I do recognize uh, that a lot of people have Kundalini awakenings because because of the internet, because say um, young people, they're, they're at university and they're a little bit bored and then they say, oh, I go on YouTube and I look up this breathing technique or this kind of shadow work. Uh, they're 21 and, and I say, what are you doing with shadow work? <laughs> <laughs> you know, before the internet at that age, you wouldn't even know that kind of thing existed. But because these things are becoming so accessible and uh, and people go on the internet and try all out, oh, let's do this strange breathing technique or this uh, relaxation uh, YouTube and, and so on. And then they do these techniques. Then some of them have a Kundalini awakening. Through that exposure and through more and more people engaging with these kind of techniques, and more and more people are getting this. I do believe that. I also have a sense that we are at a, at a verge of, you know, slow growth of more and more people having Kundalini awakening. And I, and I believe that it will be a hockey graph where it goes up very steeply, the graph. I think we are down here where it becomes very, where more and more people will have Kundalini awakening. I just don't know when that will be. If this is this year or next year or 10 years, I cannot tell. But I do believe that we are at the verge of more and more people having this. And do you think that when it starts to reach that higher level where many people are having this, that that could have a really positive transformation in our culture and in our society? If more people were awakened spiritually, I mean, that's my hope, I guess, like, in a way, when I think of your ice cube metaphor, I kind of think of it similar to like a detox, like sometimes the way that I describe this like healing clearing process with my clients. If you did like a juice fast or a detox, first, all the toxins and things that have been stored deep inside start to come up to clear, which is a a good thing, but it looks really bad because as all the toxins come up to the surface, your skin breaks out and your tongue gets a coating and you feel sluggish and you have a headache and you have all these like symptoms, again, not because the fast caused it, but because it's helping these things to emerge. I kind of think of the Kundalini process and something similar. So then I was thinking, applying that to our culture. Like right now, if people are at that lower level of just kind of first awakening kundalini and so a lot of stuff is emerging that needs to be healed and cleared and processed it can look really bad in our culture as if everything is falling apart versus yeah. everything is kind of coming up to clear and we're not at that other level yet where we've cleared through and gotten to the higher part of that obviously we would hope that if more people have a spiritual awakening that 
the world as a whole will benefit from that and become a better place. Of course, we do. Having said that, you know, I do think Kundalini awakenings are still quite rare. And the reason why I'm saying that is that practically all my clients say this is a very lonely experience. I have no one to talk about. Not everybody says that, you know, some people might be quite connected in a yoga center or something like that. But for the majority of my clients, it is a very lonely experience. And the other thing is that there's incredibly little literature about this. You know, I think I, I'm aware of two PhDs, one from Canada, one from America, where people have made some very preliminary research on that. I personally also see myself as a researcher on all of this. I quite like having a little bit of an academic approach to really say, here, what are the, the facts and how we can be um, research and study what the similarities are. And and uh, But there is very, very little on this. And, you know, when you look into psychiatric literature, they have a big amount of literature about practically everything, every little pathology is described in great detail somewhere in some some book, but about Kundalini, practically nothing. And also for my clients, a number of them, they also have gone to psych- psychiatrists and only very, very few have said to me that the psychiatrist would know about this. Now, in the diagnostic books, you know, there's something called a spiritual crisis that it should be something like that. So the psychiatrists should know about this, but basically they don't. Why don't they? Because they have so very few people coming to them with these kind of symptoms. Now, a lot of people who have Kundalini symptoms, they would not go to a psychiatrist anyway, but a number, quite a number of them do, you know, particularly if it coincides with some mental disturbances. But basically... At the moment, we do not have a wave or a flood of Kundalini awakened people. But uh, I think that could change. But I don't know how fast that would be. <laughs> if, if it's years or decades, that eludes me. But uh, we, we're heading in that direction, that's for sure. And if we do, that definitely would be a good thing for the world. Of course it would. What's really great about your book is that even for somebody who's not experiencing kundalini, I think, you know, I just found it so applicable to anybody on a spiritual path. You have a really balanced approach in there. And, you know, like you mentioned, like, like shadow work or letting go of the ego or balancing between control and surrender. So many of the things that you discuss in there could just be applicable to anyone who wants to grow and, and expand their consciousness and and particularly all the tools that you have in there. I mean, you have so many tools in there for anyone who's experiencing physical pain or experiencing anxiety. And I think of like, you know, 2020 and all, all the craziness that's happening and how much instability and, you know, emotional upheaval and so forth that people are experiencing right now. Even if they're not going through a kundalini um, process, they could really benefit from so many of the tools that you have in there. And you mentioned before about your higher consciousness healing technique. Could you tell us more about that? Yes. So uh, the technique that I use to help my kundalini clients uh, is called higher consciousness healing. And there is a separate book, which is called Higher Consciousness Healing, which I'm in the process of publishing right now. It used to be called The Five-Minute Miracle. And 
it gets repu republished and it will be called Higher Consciousness Healing. There I describe the whole method in detail without referring to Kundalini because the, the method is equally usable for everybody who has anxiety, depression, relationship problems, physical pain, tiredness, all these kind of things. And it is a really, really simple method. And I've used it with a number of children, even though children are not my main audience. Sometimes my clients say, can we use this with my eight-year-old son? He has got problems in school and anxiety. And I say, yeah, bring him in. And so we, we have a little session with him. With children, it works particularly easy because they have they are more open to these kind of things. I've worked with thousands of people with higher consciousness of healing, and I've got also a lot of people who write to me about it that I learned it from the book. They have good good results. In in the higher consciousness healing, you make contact with the higher con your higher consciousness, and the higher consciousness is a source of highest love and wisdom in the universe, the way you understand and define this source. Some people call it God, others might call it Buddha or Divine Mother, or it could be your grandmother if that's for you the highest source of love and wisdom in, in the universe. In this method, you ask for a symbol to be given to you, which might come to you in a form of a beautiful flower or a crystal or an animal. And you uh, imagine this symbol in your heart. Imagine that it radiates its strength, its beauty, its color into you. And then you, you use it very specifically for the anxiety or for the depression in a certain way, which I can't describe in detail now. But it is really very easy. You know, any child can do it. And you, you fixate and focus your mind on this symbol, which gives you an anchor to focus away from any kind of problem that you have at the moment. And the transformative force of this method is incredible. People have liberated themselves from chronic anxiety, really bad clinical depression, very bad relationship problems and so forth. I mean, really heavy duty stuff. I'm a psychotherapist and I work with these people who have had terrible abuse and traumas and so forth. And they use this technique and they do free themselves from this, the effects, the after effects. In a relatively very short time, we're speaking days, weeks, sometimes months, and these symptoms just simply disappear and not to be seen again. Then people say, oh, Tara, this is too good to be true. And, and, and I understand that because, you know, a lot of people think, something must be very complicated and you have to go years and years to psychoanalysis to figure out your problems, but it's just simply not true. Uh, you know, I have one video on YouTube. It's called Healing Depression Without Medication. I think this is my most watched video. I have no clients coming from this video because most people who watch this say this is too good to be true. And there's also video, uh, you know, comments underneath and saying, yeah, clearly you don't know what clinical depression is. It's, it's not true. I do know that. And I've worked with an, an, numerous people who had really severe depression and they, they got better. And it is really the, the resistance against something that should be so simple that stops people from using it. But then that's part of the problem. And the higher consciousness healing is really based on Tibetan Buddhism. And it is Tibetan Buddhist uh, practices that are, you could say, repackaged or put in a nutshell, freed from any kind of cultural overlay or jargon. 
and uh, being used uh, in this very comprised form when i first you know found this method it really came into mind in my into my mind as a finished product i just need to polish it a little bit and and i had my whole method so it is i see it as a gift that i somehow received and then used for my own problems and my husband and my friends and they all had really good results and then i tried it with my clients and i had equally good results so since then i'm using it with my clients yeah, I read about it on your website, and you have a little YouTube video on there. It's only like three minutes long about the higher consciousness healing, and uh, it's it's absolutely fantastic. It makes me want to read the book. I, I actually really want to read the Five Minute Miracle now. But you mentioned uh, Tibetan Buddhism. So, are you? Did you study that at some point in your life? Yes, so I am a, a Tibetan Buddhist teacher, and uh, I have started to practice. Tibetan Buddhism in 1986, so that's a long time. I think it's 36 years, isn't it so? So this has really been the center of my life. And um, 2002, um, my teacher, his name is Gautam Rinpoche. He has a center in Arizona, and he uh, asked me to uh, teach. And he also, he's given his stamp of approval and his blessing on my book, Higher Consciousness Healing, and he says that's right and that's good and I should teach that. And so he's a, a kind of high lama, you know, very respected figure in our tradition. And I'm very grateful that he gave me that blessing. Now, I'm also a psychotherapist and I have various psychotherapeutic um, trainings and I combine those two things, particularly everything to do with relationships that maybe Tibetan Buddhism is not so great with, that's not their expertise. That's what I bring in and, you know, combine the two. The way we, how we work with all these problems is is through the, the, through the practices. And very importantly, in higher consciousness healing is that we use loving kindness and uh, forgiveness and loving ourselves. And it's not just that people are said, are told, um, love yourself, forgive yourself, you know, that's easy, easily said and difficult to be done if, if you have big guilt feelings or low self-esteem. You know, there is a step-by-step -step guidance that everybody gets to these feelings and to these attitudes. And through this, uh, through this work of love, love for yourself, forgiveness for others, we can overcome very terrible PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and the effects of all sorts of negative things that has been done to us or that we have done to others. We should not forget that that dimension is also possible. People have terrible guilt feelings, and you can free yourself from that one as well and resolve a lot of relationship problems. Can you tell us a little more about your own personal kundalini journey and you mentioned with how your clients it's such a a lonely or alone um process and then i think for how long that you've been on this journey it must have been really challenging for you that people weren't talking about this very much 40 years ago <laughs> so i'd kind of love to hear more about you know what your experiences and challenges yes. were now i'm 60 now and um i'm 
my Kundalini got awakened when, when I was 17. So that's a very long time. So I've never had a life outside Kundalini because before 17, I was a child. This was anyway a different era in my life. So obviously, I had no idea in 1979 that I had a Kundalini awakening. In one of my books, I wrote the awakening with 24, but really it did awaken at 17. And, uh, and, and yes, it was kind of strange what happened there. But, you know, I was growing up and I didn't know what to expect of life. I was just 17, you know. I was thinking, yeah, that's strange. I feel like this This is quite not the way I thought it would be. But what could I do? I, um, when I was 21, I signed up for some psychotherapy and tried to get help with the issues that came up for me. When I was 17, two things happened. One is that I developed a bunch of difficult symptoms, but on the positive side, suddenly I became really, really good in school. I could suddenly get the best grades, which I couldn't do before, and I had a very, very good school qualification. And I got also extremely creative. I did lots and lots of creative projects, and I had an abundance of positive energy. I could suddenly lose weight. I was a bit uh, overweight as a teenager. Suddenly I could do it. <laughs> and I, I, everything I wanted to do, I could suddenly do. So it was not all, all negative. Uh, you know, I started then yoga and relaxation and went to some meditation class. And at the time that was really a bit strange. You know, it wasn't like now where, where you have yoga in every village hall. So it all started then. Well, then I went to university and I had um, another Kundalini influx. That was quite a sense of crisis. And that catapulted me into, into the spiritual pra practice more deeply. And then I started to visit a Buddhist center. And Tibetan Buddhism has its own Kundalini practice. It's called Tumo, or psychic heat. A lot of teachings and tips and advice they give you is in a way geared towards the kundalini process obviously i didn't know that then but because it was it was a very good place for me to be and i had a teacher and this teacher had awakened kundalini he didn't know it i didn't know it but looking back i know that he had and a lot of the things that he taught were extremely beneficial for also for my own kundalini process because that's how he helped himself and and that really worked for me as well and so in my Buddhist niche, with all these Buddhist friends, I had a very good place to develop and experience my Kundalini process. And that was very good. But I did notice that I was oh so different from normal society. And I did think that was rather strange. But <laughs> then I had all my Buddhist friends and that compensated me and, and I felt quite good with that. I did find it very strange that ordinary society was just so different for me. But, you know, I took it in my stride. And really, I only found out about Kundalini and that I was in this process when I was 40. Then I asked my teacher for Chaktipat or the touch, you know, that you, uh, or the transmission, that, that's what we call it in, in Tibetan Buddhism, uh, for, for the Kundalini practice, also the Tomo practice. And so he gave it to me and I tried to practice. I had got symptoms I started to read books and I and I thought is this tumor actually the same like Kundalini I tried to research that I found a teacher which is his name is Lama Yeshe he says yes that's the same thing even though there will be always some people who will disagree with that but you know he's a genuine a wonderful Buddhist teacher he says it's the same thing that's good enough for me 
and and also i mean i know it's the same thing and then i started to uh, read a lot and it was only then that i thought wait a minute <laughs> don't need a Kundalini awakening right now because I've had it 23 years ago. It was like a big light bulb moment. <laughs> I think roughly 10 years later, I, I felt like, you know, I would like to counsel people with this, you know, and then I made my website. And ever since, I'm certainly not alone anymore in my Kundalini process because I, I that's all I do. You know, I, every day I talk with a number of clients and they're all Kundalini clients. My husband, you know, through my own advice, he had his own Kundalini awakening. Uh, so I said, come on, let's do this practice. This will be very good for you. You should practice like this. And he was, oh, no, no, I don't want to practice like this. Yes, yes, you should practice like this. <laughs> Eventually he did. And then he had a massive Kundalini awakening. And so ever since we are together in this process, which is not always only easy, I want to say, <laughs> because <laughs> we have all the unconscious stuff from my mind, from his mind. It's not all pretty, but it's certainly very interesting and very rewarding. And so, yeah, I mean, my Kundalini story is my entire life story. I can talk about it for hours, but maybe, uh, maybe I should say, um, because people are always so afraid of the Kundalini, that for me, it was a relatively benign story you know I was always very interested in developing myself and and if you have that attitude then you can take these problems that come your way in your stride you know you just need to apply yourself find solution to them and the rewards have also been incredible you know I mean the wonderful wonderful sense of purpose in life you know being on this mission helping people and uh, another thing that I want to mention is the manifesting power that you have. Because when you really have Kundalini, then all the law of attraction, it starts to really, really work. <laughs> because all those people who, who believe in the law of attraction and then they try and they visualize, and yes, it works sometimes, but often it doesn't. Well, when you have awakened Kundalini, it works pretty much all the time, which also it's important to have a lot of responsibility with this process because you can easily wish for the wrong things and you create a lot of suffering. And so you need to know what you're doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you find with a lot of your clients, does the Kundalini, does it kind of have like its ebbs and flows? I'm just, I, I'm reflecting on my own experience of having some like really intense energetic things happening and spiritual experiences and a lot of my karmic stuff coming up that I needed to deal with within like a two year period and where it was very challenging. And I wish I had your book, particularly I, I saw that you had like this, what to do about crying spells. And that was like a big part of my activation was like, I mean, I had like 10 months of just everyday crying spells, but it was so strange because it, there was nothing triggering it. It would just seem like I would be do, 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 doing my thing. And then suddenly this huge, like, energy would come through of just sorrow and it would work through me and then it would pass like a storm. And in the same way, bliss would at other times come through. Of course, I'm always enjoying like welcoming the bliss, but then when the crying spells would come in, I got to where I was like, oh, okay, that's, this is what this is. And, and I could just witness it and hold space for it. But um, I, I appreciate that you have that in, in there about that. 
which so this leads to my question, which is like, oh, what is this going to come back in that intensity? I mean, for me now, I don't experience that kind of the the negative symptoms. Certainly, like you said in in your book, it's it's a journey of like I'm still continually working through with my ego and my shadow material and my inner child and all of these things. But intensity is not the level it was within maybe that two-year period. So do people kind of ebb and flow from that? Yes. Um, basically, once the Kundalini process has started, it's similar like pu- puberty. It doesn't go away. And again, the, the comparison is actually quite good because if you had puberty and then you fall in love and then maybe for a while you have nothing to do with boys or girls and then you fall in love again five years later and then maybe you are, I don't know, You also in our love life, we go through these periods of intense falling in love and then things ebb away and some people are maybe single for a while, have nothing to do with sex for three years and think that's completely gone dormant and then the next karmic connection comes along and then all <laughs> comes up again. And it's uh, very similar with the Kundalini process. It can come and go depending on your life circumstances and you meet this amazing new spiritual teacher and you get another big, big influx of Kundalini and a big consciousness expansion and that goes on for tumultuous five years, let's say, and then it just dies down and then the next 10 years are very, very calm and then something, some other trigger comes along and then you get another big opening so that's very individual and you can't really say what's happening. It is a lifelong process and some people take it very much in their stride and with other people who fight it more, they have a harder time. Some people can experience these intense periods where it becomes very, very strong and tumultuous. And then for other people, it's more an even thing that just goes on and on and on and on. So both is possible. It's it's hard to predict but just when you have your very first kundalini awakening for a lot of people it's like that that at the very very beginning there's often a period of bliss of opening and that bliss for some people it lasts days and for others um, weeks and months and the longest i've heard is like a year and then after that the unconscious mind opens and then all that stuff comes up and say okay you had your cookie and now do your homework (laughs) And then stuff comes up and says, you know, here's an issue and work through it and you can't get away with with your delusions anymore. You have to face this. And then the more willing you do that work, be it with a psychotherapist or alone or through spiritual practice or you're like a talent and you can just intuitively do it by yourself, it doesn't really matter. The main thing is you find a way of dealing with that stuff. And I hope my book will help people find a good way to deal with that stuff. Obviously, you know, just reading one book is probably not enough for most people. You you take that and you take it as a hint and it points you in the right direction. And maybe some people will want to have support of a, a therapist or a teacher with that. And that will be good. And then, you know, if you work through your unconscious material, I find in the in the classical literature they say the Kundalini starts from the uh, bottom of your body, from the pelvic area, and then rises up in an orderly fashion, fashion through each chakra until it reaches the head chakra, and then you reach enlightenment. Now, I've never... No, that's not true. In, in, with, with over a thousand client, 
two people have had that experience in that orderly fashion. With all the rest, myself included, the Kundalini can start at any chakra, and it can, and then other chakras get activated or problems appear at other chakras. Let's say you, it starts in the in the heart, and you have a wonderful heart opening, maybe together with the falling in love, and you think you met your twin flame or something like that, and and then after another number of years, maybe you get issues in your stomach chakra, and then you need to work through other issues around committing to people or dissolving anxieties and so forth. And then it goes to your head chakra, and then it goes to your root chakra. It has its own way with each of us, and it's not predictable. It's more like we need to follow along and say, okay, this is this is the topic now. Let's not fall into self-pity. Just let's do the work. Yeah, I, this is all really wonderful information for everybody, really. I think if you go to your website and you you have like a little test where you can see if you meet these five criteria to see if – I guess you don't even have to meet all five, but there are these five areas that you can say, yes, that applies to me, and it's this to see if your kundalini is active. And I, I did this, and I went to your website, and you know, I, I guess I checked off all five, and I was surprised. I was like, oh. I, I meet the criteria here. So I think more people might meet that criteria than, than you would expect. But yeah, it's, it's been a great conversation. And thank you so much for talking to us and taking the time to, to explain everything like you did. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, do you want to give everybody your website so they can go and find out about your books and everything? Yes, I've got two websites. One is called kundalinisymptoms.com and the other one is my name, taraspringer.com. Okay. And these are the two websites and on the website you find a number of books. I've written two books about kundalini and a number of other books of all sorts of other areas about manifesting, about stages of consciousness healthy eating, the Buddhist way, and so forth, relationships. So there's a number of books there. Yeah, there's like such a wealth of um, information for anybody on a spiritual path, I feel. Um, thank you so much for being our guest today. Well, thank you, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Illusion. I want to say thank you very much to Tara Springett for taking the time to share her knowledge and gifts with us. If you want to learn more about Tara and her offerings, please visit taraspringett.com. That's spelled T-A-R-A-S-P-R-I-N-G-E-T-T.com or kundalinisymptoms.com. I'd also like to thank Tiana Roser for all the work she does to keep this podcast interesting and Casey Henson for providing the music. If you'd like to learn more about us or find past episodes, please visit beyondtheillusionpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a rating for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. This will help other people find us. Take care.